is it's easy during seasons, especially like this of holiday seasons, to just get super focused on me and my circle. Just the things that directly impact me, my choices, my, my, my wants and my needs and everything that I want or I need to do. We focus a lot about on those this season because of all the craziness that is all out there. So we tend to kind of hunker down and say, I'm just going to focus on me. And here's the mistake we tend to make is when we do that, we forget that what happens in this circle actually impacts outside of the circle as well. We tend to think, well, it's not hurting anybody. It's just me. This is, I'm just taking care of me. I'm myself in my little world. But we miss that our little world, those actions, those decisions, those words, those feelings, all those things that I choose have a major impact outside of my circle. Let me help you understand. This usually happens about once a month. I notice this. I'll be going down the road, kind of in that Home Depot, Walmart, Chick-fil-A area. There's a big roundabout right there. Now, everybody knows that when you get to a roundabout, you go to the... Boy, and this is why we're having this conversation, because that, that, that did not give me the confidence that I was hoping for. When you get to a roundabout, you turn... Still, I'm concerned. Right. Thank you. Right. For those of you that are confused, listen very carefully. This is your main takeaway from today's sermon. When you turn right, everything works and is in good working order, and everybody's able to do what they need to do. But I see it about once a month where I'll come up to that yield, and I'm getting ready to turn right, but it's not my turn yet, and I'll see somebody decide, hey, they're making their own decision in their little circle, thinking it doesn't impact anybody else, but they decide to go left. And when they go left, the world shuts down. Nobody knows what to do. People slam on their brakes and lay on their horns. There's traffic now backed up because somebody went left in a roundabout and no one can move. We're paralyzed because of that one left turn. One person's decision that was their decision to make ruined everybody's lives for that about three and a half seconds, right? You'll be in the shopping center this week. You'll go to Kroger, Walmart, Ingalls. You'll go someplace to get some last minute groceries. You'll need to get maybe some eggs and milk the bread, just the staples, just a few things. You got everything else you needed. You did your major grocery shopping already, but you need to get just a few things. So you go into the store, you pick up your few things. You don't even need a shopping cart. It is cart. We've had the buggy conversation before. It is cart. And you've got them in your hand, and you notice all of the checkout lines are just stacked all the way out. You said, well, that's why God invented self-checkout. Because I don't have to wait in all of that. I only have three things. So you go to the self-checkout line, and then you're appalled at what you see. Because you have noticed that while you have just a few items in self-checkout, you notice that other people have shopping carts full of stuff in self-checkout. What would have taken you one minute is now going to take you a half hour because you're waiting on the person that has 37 items compared to your three. Again, their choice and their world has made a major impact and a, and a major inconvenience on you. That can be negative. It can also be positive. This happened to us last month. One of our little family traditions is usually on a Friday morning or a Saturday morning. We'll go through Dunkin' Donuts, drive through and get donuts for the kids. They love it, get to pick out their donuts and we have a good time. And we're going through the drive through The kids picked out their donuts. We go to the drive through window. I get ready to hand her the money and she says, it's covered. I said, well, what do you mean it's covered? She said, yeah, the person in front of you took care of your order. So I promptly said, one more dozen donuts, please. 
just put it on their tab, whoever they are. No, but it was a great moment of like, no, like, wow, that's incredible. And so then I got the teachable moment to turn around to my three kids and say, hey, daddy's not paying for your donuts this morning. Me and mommy don't have to do that, but see that car that's heading out of the parking lot? They bought your donuts this morning. And I love this because then my oldest, Connor, he said, well, why, dad? I said, that's a great question, to be kind. So somebody's one decision that was in their circle, in their control, in their ability to make, made a massive impact outside of their own life. So this week, and for the weeks to come, but especially in the season that we're walking into, let's not forget that reality. The decisions we make, the choices we make, the words we choose to use or not use, the way we love, the way we help, those choices, there's a lot of stuff outside of our control, but there is a lot inside of our control. And what we choose to do inside this circle, it matters. It matters. And I know the tendency is when we look out in our world and the chaos and the, and the troubles and the problems and the suffering and the pain and all the problems that we might see, it's easy to get overwhelmed and say, well, I can't do anything about that, so I'm just going to hunker down into myself and my little world and just take care of little old me. But don't miss. Yes, we can't do everything for everyone. But what I do, the choices I make, the way we act towards others inside this little circle that we call our lives, it matters and it goes beyond just our lives. Your life goes beyond just you. And I think we would agree on that just because we've been, we've experienced that. We've been impacted by other people in positive and negative ways. That their choices have impacted us. Their decisions have impacted us in good or bad. So let's be intentional about it. If that's the way God has kind of organized this world and our relationships with one another, then we have to get in our heads that what we do with our lives, it matters. It most certainly matters because it's going to impact lives beyond just you. We say here a lot in our church that we are about more life change. And that starts with saying yes to Jesus. When I say yes to Jesus, it radically changes my life. But more life change goes beyond just that. We begin to see the impact and influence in other people's lives. So what I want us to do this morning is we're gonna focus on this circle because it has an impact beyond that circle. We're gonna focus on what can we do right here, right now, what do I need to focus on so that my life is impacting other people's lives in the best way possible. And there's a lot of things we can, could come up with. What we're gonna look at this morning is just three things. Those are, that's a good place to start. <laughs> Holidays are coming up, it's busy, it's chaotic. How about we just focus on three things and let's work from there. So if you have your Bibles, head over to Acts 17. Acts chapter 17, let me give you a little context of what we're gonna be looking at. We're gonna start in Acts 17 and that's gonna give us the beginnings of this church we're gonna study for a few moments. The book of Acts is just that, the Acts of the early church. Clever name, I know. So here you see mostly Paul and Peter, these disciples, traveling around city to city, city to city, planting and raising up churches. So Paul would go to the city of Ephesus, and he would start a church there. And then he would write a letter to that church later on, and we get what we call Ephesians, a letter to the church of Ephesus, or the Ephesians. He did that in a lot of different cities. We're going to look at the city of Thessalonica. Paul does just that. He goes to the city of Thessalonica, raises up some leaders, as we're going to see. They start a church. But then we're going to see what happened, because then we're going to see Paul write a letter to them. 
So that's kind of the, the chronological order of events. He's going to start this church. He's going to go away. He's going to hear some things about that church, and then we're going to find out what that church did. What did they do in their little lives, in their little church, in their little community that went way beyond anything they ever would or could have imagined? So here's the beginning of the church that we'll call Thessalonians. It's the church in Thessalonica. Paul does what he normally would do. He showed up with some of his other companions. In this case, it's Silas and some others. They start preaching Jesus to the people in this town. And here's where we'll pick it up. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 4. Pay attention to the climate, the temperature, kind of the vibe and mood when they started this church. Verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So some people said, yes, Paul came to their town, preached Jesus. In their little circle, they said, yes, I'm following Jesus. I'm giving him my all. Their lives were forever changed. Here's the flip side, verse five. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters. I love that, they went and found them. Rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in order to bring, they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, here was their accusation, these men have caused trouble, say these words with me, all over the world. Pause there. That's the reputation. That's their perspective. But the bottom line is their reputation had been worldwide, the known world at this time. And now these accusers are saying, now they've come to our town. They accuse them, these men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Kind of a rough way to start a church, isn't it? Paul shows up, excited to tell people about Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the eternal salvation that's only found in Jesus. Several accept, but then a whole crowd of people are all upset about it, to the point of starting riots in the street. The city officials and the crowd are in turmoil. There's upheaval in the city, to the point where they start rushing into Jason's home. That's where Paul and Silas were staying. You'll notice Paul and Silas weren't there. They had to jet. They had to go to other cities to start doing exactly what they did here in Thessalonica to start and plant other churches. So it's not a great way to start a church. The, the community was opposed to them. If you didn't know, like we're a church plant. We started five years ago in the movie theaters across the street, but it wasn't like this at all. Like we didn't have riots in downtown Dawsonville. City officials weren't dragging us out of our homes. No, they welcomed us with open arms. Like our community loves having us around. We have a good reputation in our community. So very different way of starting a church. That's where they started. You can imagine the people of that church, what are we going to do? That had to have been a question. Our community doesn't want us here. Paul has to go on and go to some other churches and other cities to start those churches. So here I am in my little life and my little church and just my little world in a community that doesn't want me here. What do we do? So I'm sure asking that question in their little circles, there was a lot they couldn't control and some they could, I'm sure they wrestled with that question. Now we fast forward. They figured something out because Paul starts hearing word of something going on in the Thessalonica area. 
So much, in fact, that he was beginning to be shocked, like, what's happening there? I remember what it was like when I was there for a little bit. Like, they ran me out of the town. What's happening? What's God doing? So he sent some people back to Thessalonica to see what was actually happening with the intent of reporting back to Paul. So Paul starts getting all of these messengers back saying, Paul, you won't believe it. That whole town is being changed. It's not just the town, but it's the whole region is being changed because of this little church that was opposed when it first started. So Paul then writes them a letter. That's where we get First and Second Thessalonians. He writes a letter back to that church that he started and had to run quickly away from. And he points out, here's what you have done well. Here's what you have done in your little circle that has made such an impact beyond your circle. So now that's what I want you to pay attention to. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Here's Paul's letter back to that church he started, the church we just read about in Acts chapter 17. Listen to what he commends them for. Listen to what he says. Here's what you've done well in your little circle. Verse 2 out of chapter 1. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your, here they are, there's three of them, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, what you have figured out in yourselves and in your little church and your little world has gone beyond just you. And it's because of those three things. Now, he kind of goes on to explain a little bit more. Verse 4, he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you, just like he's chosen us. He's given us a purpose. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. In other words, it wasn't just a flash in the frying pan. They believed what Jesus was doing in their lives. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he recollects, I remember what it was like when I was there. He says, I remember the pushback. I remember the riots. I remember the upheaval. I remember hearing about the arrest made. Man, kids' ministry is having a blast today. (laughs) If any of y'all want to just go and hang out with them, I don't take any offense to it whatsoever. I love our kids and students, man. They do a great job. Verse 7, And so you became a model to all the believers, and here's the region, in Macedonia and Achaia, The Lord's message rang out, it resonated, it rippled out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become, what is these two words? Known everywhere. Now I know that was a lot, but did you catch what he's getting at? Paul says, in your own little lives and in your own little world and your own little church, you just did really three things. We're going to talk about them in a second. And because of those, you have made an impact far beyond your reach. Because of what you did here, Jesus' name has rung out everywhere. Now let me put a map up here so you really see what everywhere kind of looks like. This map will show Thessalonica all the way up top. You see Thessalonica right up there towards the top. That whole area, the northern part is Macedonia. That's that region there. You look to the south side where like modern day Greece would be, that's Achaia. And what Paul says is what you focused on in your circle didn't just impact your little town of Thessalonica, but it went to Macedonia and it went to the region of Achaia and now it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Your life is not just your life. When the Holy Spirit moves through you in a way that we read about here, in a way that he still does today, it makes 
a difference. So once again, Mountain Lake Church, what you do in this circle, in your life, matters. So go back and pay attention to what Paul says. Here's what mattered that made such a big difference. Like I said, there's three of them. The first one he points out, work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. Here's another way to think through it. The decisions you make because of your faith. There's a lot outside of our control, but we have decisions that we are in control of. The question is, why do you make the decisions you do? What is the filter for making those decisions inside your circle, your little life? Don't worry about everybody else. In your little life, why do you make those decisions? And Paul's commending the Thessalonians, this early church, because they made all of their decisions based on their faith, based on their faith in Jesus. Because when you say yes to Jesus, it changes everything. It changes what we do, but more importantly, why we do it. We have to ask the question, well, it's not just what I do, but why do I do it? And the answer needs to be because of my faith in Jesus. Just yesterday, we were cleaning up our house, just part of our Saturday chores, and the kids and I were cleaning off the couches in the living room in different places, and there's papers all over from them, and their art projects and stuff, and so I'm cleaning off papers on our couch, and all the papers come off off the couch. I get them in a stack, and I move them except one piece of paper that's still on my couch. So I go back to it, thinking I missed it, and I tried to pull up, and it doesn't move. I said, well, that's interesting. I decided to investigate. Why doesn't this piece of paper come off my couch? The more I tugged and pulled and looked around, I noticed why that piece of paper did not come off of my couch. It did not come off of my couch because it was glued to my couch. So I do what every good father would do in that moment. I say, kids, I have a question. So I got all three of my kids around and I said, why is a piece of paper glued to my couch? That's a fair question, would you agree? I didn't really want to know how it happened. I'm, I'm, I'm a grown man. I can understand glue, paper, couch. I understand how it happened. I understand what happened. There's paper glued to my couch. What I could not fathom and wrap my hands and head around is why there is a piece of paper glued to my couch. So I asked my three children, my loving and precious, I have to remind myself of that, wonderful children. And I said, Connor, Colin, Collins, why is there a piece of paper glued to my couch? And this is what I got. I said, let me try again. We all see the piece of paper glued to the couch. Help me understand why. Like, was it an accident or was this an art project? Like, help me understand and I got it again. No clue. No clue why it happened. Now, I will, I will tell this, this little side note. This is extra for uh, your Sunday morning sermon. That if you mix soapy water and white vinegar, it gets glue off of a couch. Did you know that? There you go. Some of you are going to have to file that one away. You're going to use it at some point. Point is, when we don't know why, it doesn't help us in our context, does it? Why? The choices that you make, the decisions that you make, why do you make them? And is the filter because of my faith in Jesus? James talks a lot about our faith and the byproducts of our faith. He says this in James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds or no works or no actions to follow through with it, no choices that match up to our faith. Can such a faith truly save them? Good question. Verse 15, he gives a, a, a scenario. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is, say it with me, dead. Pretty bold and harsh statement. Now, let me make sure we're not misunderstanding. He's not saying we earn our way into heaven. It's not a works-based salvation. It only happens because of grace and the faith that we have in Jesus. But his question he's asking is, if you say you have faith, but all of your decisions don't show that, is that really faith? Or is it just lip service faith? So go back to the filter. In my circle, in my little life, and in my little world, what choices am I making? And more importantly, why am I making them? Paul points out that the Thessalonians made their decisions and their choices because of their faith. The second thing that he points out and commends them for, says your labor prompted by love. Your labor prompted by love. Another way to think through it is the sacrifices you make because of your love. The sacrifices, the difficulties, the long nights, the exhaustion, right? Do you hear that turmoil? Because of your love. In fact, if you look at the actual language here, labor in this context literally means sweat producing. So what you throw all that together, what that really says is sweat producing love. Not a very romantic version of love, is it? No. It's a difficult kind of love. It's a hard kind of love. It's an exhausting kind of love. It's a humbling kind of love, a humiliating kind of love, an unconditional love, a selfless love, a sacrificial love. Again, the Thessalonians have their little world and their little church in a community that is opposed to them. They had a choice. They didn't choose how they were treated. They chose how they were going to treat others to the point of sweating to love their community so much. The difficulties of loving a town and people in a community that were trying to arrest them. For many of you, you might just need to hear that because you're going into Thanksgiving. There's going to be some sweat kind of love happening this week, isn't there? <laughs> There's a lot of people you're going to be interacting with. It's like, this is that kind of love we talked about on Sunday, not the lovey-dovey kind of love. This is the like, you're making me sweat kind of love. But you have that choice. You can't choose how people treat you. You choose how you treat them. So in your little world, it makes a difference how you love people. Colossians, Paul says this. He actually explains that kind of love. It's not a romantic version of love. It is this difficult, sweat-producing love. Colossians chapter 3, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's us. He says, put on or clothe yourselves with a list. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. You don't have to bear with somebody that you're getting along with. No, that says there's conflict and difficulties happening. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's convicting. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So, in our own little circle, in our own little world, we choose what we do. Our actions, our thoughts, our words, but how we love other people is within our sphere of decision-making as well. In our own little world, in our own little lives, how will we love others? The third one that Paul points out, he says, work produced by faith are our choices that we make because of our faith. Labor-prompted love or the sacrificial love because of, our, uh, because of the love that we've received. The last one, your endurance inspired by hope 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope, by the very nature of the definition, refers to forward thinking or ahead thinking. You don't just see what's in front of you, you think further beyond. So for the people of Thessalonica, they of course saw their little world. They saw the community and the world that was in the present of this is very difficult right now, but they saw something beyond that. That's why Paul says your hope in Jesus Christ. They saw that next life. They had that eternal perspective. They recognized the importance of eternity. So they backed up and said, because we see eternity, Because we have an eternal perspective, now we see the importance of the people around us. Even more so, we see the importance of what we do each and every day. When you focus on hope, you focus on hope in Jesus and you have that eternal perspective, it changes your priorities, doesn't it? All of a sudden, things that maybe seemed really important aren't as important. Other things become much more important. Certain things that were urgent aren't as urgent. Some other things become a little bit more urgent. The hope you have in Jesus. Another way to think of it is the perspective you keep because of your hope. Your hope in Jesus. So that's what Paul says. Faith, love, and hope is what the early church of Thessalonica did that went beyond just them and impacted not just a region, but everywhere to use his words. The choices we make based on our faith. The love we give that is sacrificial and sweat-producing the hope that we hold on to, the perspective we keep, the eternal perspective that we keep, it makes a difference. It matters. Your little life, your little world matters because of what it does, because it impacts so much more than just you. It's not just your life. Your life impacts so many other lives. Here's why that happens. Here's why that works. When we say yes to Jesus, and that's what happened in Acts 17, Paul comes in, everybody hears Jesus, here's what you need to know, and they say yes to following Jesus. In that very moment, your life is radically changed in following Jesus. All of a sudden, you're different. You live differently. Following Jesus produces a countercultural life, a countercultural way of living. The decisions you make are different because it's based on your faith. The way you love is different because of the love that you've gotten from Jesus. The hope that you have is different because it's focused on eternity. You see how that is different. So when other people see you in your little circle, they see something different. You think different, you act different. As a follower of Jesus, you are different than the rest of this world. And they recognize something's different and it creates change. Following Jesus produces a countercultural way of life that changes, changes, yes, your little world, but the world as well. Please don't miss that. You say yes, for, say yes to Jesus for yourself, but understand the ripples go way, way, way beyond just you. Your life matters, and what you do in it, in your little world, with your little life, and this little church matters because of what Jesus does with us what he chooses to do with us and how he uses us for other people that we may or may not ever meet. It makes a difference. That's why we do things like the wall of needs. In your little world, you grab a little tag off or you fill a shoebox, but the impacts go way beyond just that. It's why we say things like, serve at Christmas Eve. It's not because we need your help. Please don't take the posture of, I'll serve at Christmas Eve because my church needs me. Not true. No, you take the posture of, I get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. My decision to serve is giving me the opportunity to point people to Jesus, to welcome people, to show people Jesus before they ever hear about Jesus potentially. 
That's why we give you opportunities to serve in our community and our church. It's why we partner with great organizations locally in our region, but also around the world, because they're doing things that are making a bigger impact. One of those I want to talk about specifically just for a moment, New Churches Now. Incredible organization that does nothing but plant churches in parts of the world where people don't like Christians, just like we read about in Acts, places like Thessalonica. And what's special about this organization is it started with some individuals that said, what I do matter, and they started to actually see that happen, but it started actually in our church. They've been part of Mountain Lake Church for a long time. Guys like Colin and Matt and Joe to say my decisions that I make because of my faith, the love that I have because of Jesus, the hope that I'm holding on to because of Jesus, and to see that impact around the world as they plant churches in different places. So I just want to, we've been talking a lot about Walla Needs and all these different organizations. I want to put some faces to some of those for you. So let me give you a little insight into what New Churches is doing currently and what we might be able to do to be part of that. Check this out from Matt and Colin. What if God, by his incredible favor, was able to connect us with the right leaders in every country around the world? And what if we were able to catalyze a movement of reproducing churches in those nations that were united around the mission of Jesus? And what if those movements reproduced churches all around their countries and even crossed borders into neighboring countries, all the while reaching people who were far from God? Would that have a significant impact on our world for Jesus Christ? The answer is yes, and it is. And that's what we get to do. We help catalyze these movements of reproducing churches around the world. We start by coming alongside the right indigenous leader, and then we help that leader to gather other like-minded leaders into a network of encouragement and accountability. And then we invest in those networks to provide them the resources, the tools, and the best practices they need to reproduce God's kingdom at every level reproducing disciples, reproducing leaders, and reproducing churches. And then we continue to work with those networks so that they can reproduce more networks regionally, forming a movement. And that movement will spread through the country and over the borders. And we call that Catalyst Community. One of the things that actually has the greatest impact on these teams when we work with them is not the content or the teaching, but it's the fact that we've really pointed them to God and it's this activation of faith. So a lot of times when we talk about planning churches, we're hindered by what we think we can do in our own power. But when we focus these guys on Ephesians 3.20, the fact that God can do abundantly more than we ask or imagine, we really start to see them dream these big dreams. They collaborate with others. They have this accountability and care structure that helps spur them along toward these goals of reproducing at every level, leaders, groups, churches. And those things in place, we start to see incredible results. We believe that starting new churches is the New Testament model of spreading the gospel around the world. And that everywhere we're starting new churches, we see the full economy of heaven taking place. Salvation, baptism, wounds are being healed, marriages are being healed, and lives are being changed by the gospel. And we're especially encouraged in the countries we work in where uh, evangelical believers are less than 2% of the total population. So we've seen some of our greatest success in starting new churches in country where it's very dangerous to be a Christian. And through this system over the years, our team has seen the starting of 1,224 churches around the world 
in 24 different countries around the world. And we're currently working at various stages of development in 44 countries uh, in the world. And this year alone, we've seen the start of 500 new churches. We're at the point now in this process where as our existing networks grow and mature, and we start new networks in new countries, that we're seeing the number of new church starts double every year. So we've got other teams in development in different parts of the world, and that's really an ongoing part of what we do now is we reproduce teams. So this catalytic effort is then even multiplied at another level as we move forward. We've got three fully functional teams right now. We've got a team in Sub-Saharan Africa. We've got a team in India that hits the area all around India, it's neighboring countries. And we've got a team in the Philippines that we're actually taking to different Asian countries with us. And these guys have reproduced Catalyst communities in their countries and in their neighboring countries without us. So when we tell our story, what we like to say is we're really telling the story of something great that God is doing. So when you hear this story, we'd like you to consider and pray, what does your role in this story look like? How can you play a part in this great story that God is telling around the world? Will you guys welcome Colin up here with me just for a moment? What's cool is to see what one life can do when we start to say, well, what choices am I making? What decisions am I making? How am I choosing to love and what hope am I holding on to? And even though it's happening in a pretty small, again, it's just my little world, it's Colin's little world in his life, but when we hand that over to God, it goes well beyond just me and my little circle. So understand, I mean, we've all got purpose, right? That's what even Paul said. But can I encourage you that what we see happening in Acts 17 and what we see in 1 Thessalonians, a lot of times we look at, oh man, that would be really cool if that was happening today. It's happening today <laughs> because of what we choose to do in our little circle, and it goes beyond just us. And I, I wasn't called to the Philippines and areas of Africa like Colin. I was called to Dawsonville, Georgia. That's what God gave me. Amen. I love every minute of it. But... That means what I choose to do and how I choose to love and the hope that I hold on to, it goes well beyond and it impacts what Colin is doing and Matt and Joe and, and the wall of needs and people well beyond just our hometown. So yes, me and you have a, a little life and a little world and a little church and a little community with big impact. So Colin, you even said it on the video, what's our part in our life? In your circle, what's your part? the choices you make, the love that you give, the hope that you hold on to. So thanks for doing Wall of Needs and serving for Christmas Eve services. But even with what God's doing through Colin, Matt, and Joe, through new churches now, if you wanna be part of that, you might not ever go there, but do you know that for them to plant a church, it costs $750 to plant one church. It costs a lot more for us to plant our church, just to give you context. So if you wanna be part of that on a different level, let me put this up on the screen. You can take a picture of this. You can text that. And we'll give you instructions on how you can give directly to new churches now. If you're not tech savvy, checkbook, cash, if you write it in, just write missions on the memo and we'll make sure it gets to new churches now so that more and more of those churches can be funded. So what you choose to do goes beyond just you. What's your part? Let's not miss that it starts with Jesus. It all started because Paul went to a group of people and said, you need Jesus. And they said, yes. So you might be in that space now of just in your little world to need to say yes to Jesus. Start there and then start to look at the choices because of your faith, the love because of his love and the hope that we have in Jesus, the eternal perspective that we have. And you'll see it ripple beyond just you.
So we're gonna do this. I'm gonna pray not just over Colin and what New Churches Now is doing, but for us as well to be able to ask that question. God, what's my part in my little life, in my little world, my little church, in my little community? God, how do you wanna use that to go beyond just me? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Colin, for Joe, for Matt, for their teams that are doing some incredible things around the globe. So God, would you please continue to use them in ways that we can only imagine. God, seeing Ephesians 3 come to life that truly to you, who can do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine, we're seeing that happen in our own lives, in our community, but around the world as well. So God, may you speak clearly to us as we ask that question, what's my part? Maybe it's starting with just saying yes to you. Maybe it's starting to look at our choices and how it ties to our faith. Maybe it's the kind of love that we show and it's, it's a difficult love, it's an exhausting love, it's a sweat producing love, but it's the love that you've given us. Maybe it's a perspective we need to hold onto and putting our hope in you and not anything or anyone else. God, use us for so much more. Use us for more life change. As you're using Colin and new churches now, may you use us as well as we partner together. In Jesus' name.